fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try Hey everybody and welcome to big episode number 91 of the fourth season of the Fantasy Fullback Dive brought to you by the good folks at the Roto Street Journal. We are paving the way to fantasy glory. We are going to act as your lead blocker this offseason and during the season and hell even in the postseason if you're going to be like a real dedicated fantasy fan and keep listening, which totally you should. If you have been, you would have heard some of the great stuff that's been going on on the dive lately, which we're going to get to in a second. I of course am your host, Nat The Truth Jones, with me as always. Uh, on an early, a surprisingly early morning, and by early morning I mean like not even 10 a.m. podcast, with me is the Wolf of Rotor Street himself, Wolf, how's it going? Doing fantastic, got my workout out of the way, got an article up already, and then you hit me up that you could go early, so we're having ourselves a little Roto Street day, baby, I'm pumped about it. That's great. We had a pretty <laughs> exciting Roto Street day uh, recently, right? We had a, a you know fairly prominent football related fantasy guest you want to or, or just guest in general you want to talk about that for a sec yeah, not too bad i mean you know a second to the wolf maybe but no oh my god it was beyond thrilling i got adam schefter uh he joined the podcast if you haven't heard that one go back to ffbdpod.com slash 90 uh it was just absolutely fantastic he gave us a good solid 15 minutes and we we squeezed out as much as we could he gave us some fantastic stuff on Gurley's health daryl henderson i mean the melvin gordon contract situation jay Ajay, brady's contract and then we kind of got a few of those fun questions and why does he ever sleep what is his habits we got to talk about you know does he make moves before he breaks news and fun stuff like that and there's so much more i'm probably forgetting so adam thanks again for joining if you haven't heard that one you know if you're listening now you probably came because of adam schefter so you might have already heard it but if not if somehow you missed that one it's must listen it was unbelievable for his time and i i can't appreciate it enough it was so good yeah thanks a lot hopefully we'll have if we do if we are lucky enough one day to get him on again we're obviously gonna i'm gonna have to be part of the interview and i'm gonna have to ask him the the hypothetical about getting kicked in the nuts as hard as he can by like oh i'm sure he'd love that oh yeah i'm sure that would (laughs) that would ingratiate him to us for eternity um right all right so we're gonna talk we talked chapter a little bit but there's another thing we kind of want to pump up which is the off-season bible which is right on the cusp and which is just jam-packed it's a literal tome it is like a well if you remember Mm -hmm. phone books which i don't know if you even do do they still have phone books i don't know i remember phone books oh yeah okay well anyway i was alive for phone books yes nat (laughs) all right i don't know i don't know when they phased phone books out i figured like maybe they phased them out when you were a kid or something like that but anyway uh talk about the off-season bible because this is a huge deal a lot of work's gone into it and people should check it out it's just I don't know if it will be officially dropped quite at this podcast. I previewed it last one and then realized it wasn't quite done. We got our guy Sammy just uh, doing some fantastic work on the Bible. We're using a great program so we can squeeze in videos and podcasts, make oh, no this multimedia way. ultimate guide. Uh, you know, over seventy videos in there, over one hundred and fifty pages, which might sound intimidating. Some of you guys might be like, "That ah, that's too much for me." There are very skimmable kind of like spark notes throughout there, though, with graphics and like the summaries are bolded. So if you're not a nut. 
then that's okay. We have the, the summaries, the need to know information all throughout there. If you are a nut, which I know a lot of our guys are and just want to read 150 pages of great stats and where everybody went and how everybody was impacted. That's fantastic too. This kind of, this episode, we're going to do the off season risers and followers, kind of the MVPs and LVPs of the off season is almost just kind of scratching the surface and previewing a little bit about who rose and who fell. But if you really want to know everything about it that you have to make sure you get that Bible. So rotostreetjournal.com slash off seasons, where you can find it when it's officially launched. Uh, Sam told me he thinks he can get done by the end of this week. So hopefully it will be up there and ready for you guys. It's such a great guide. Um, And if you like what we've been doing here, me and the world to get your support and get your feedback on that. So, uh, you know, Wolfpack loyalties, we want to hear from you. We want you guys to test it out and let us know what you think. All right, so next time we're going to talk about overprices, but before that we are going to hit the off-season MVPs and LVPs, which I'm assuming means least valuable players, guys that have fallen mm-hmm. as much as possible. But before that, let's get into the stock watch. It's been lots of early pre-camp risers and fallers. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a live show coming up, supposedly. We'll see. Uh, we all, mm-hmm. there, we were on the cusp of getting on uh, you know, Facebook Live today and see, but you know, I don't know, nine fifty-five. Who's gonna Who's gonna be there? I think this is probably <laughs> the right the right move, but we're gonna do that eventually. Uh, the one we really need to discuss right now is the Lions releasing Theo Riddick, a guy that I actually wrote an article about uh, how much he sucked the pass catching back maybe a year or two ago, and then I was just you know he kind of proved me wrong, even though mm-hmm. my I still stand by my data. Uh, but anyway, he's gone. Uh, it sends Carry On Johnson's stock you know, going through the roof. This is a guy that we've been saying for a while now, man, why don't the Lions just go all in on this guy? It doesn't make any sense that they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems as if they're maybe not fully all in because Thickham, CJ Anderson's still there. He's still going to have a role. Uh, LeGarrette Blount was fed a disgusting 154 carries last year, even though he only averaged 2.7 yards a carry. So we know Anderson, he'll get about that 150, probably vulture six to 10 touchdowns along those lines as a better version of LeGarrette Blount. But now getting that third down back removed, Theo Riddick, is enormous because it's no longer that stuck in between uh, the in between. 20s purgatory I like to call it for a running back where you're losing your receptions you're losing your touchdowns and you're racking up some good yardage doing all that work and then you get pulled for those invaluable fantasy touches again the receptions and the touchdowns he's at least going to have that job on lock now with the the catches so you know beat writers were already with Riddick on the roster calling Johnson to get about 50 catches 60 catches uh, a bunch of different projections coming out so now I think he absolutely smashes that number maybe even gets over with Riddick removed Riddick averaged over six targets a game right around five catches a game he had 61 catches last year in only 14 games so carry on johnson getting that work's going to be invaluable especially because he can just do so much more with it than theo riddick ever could which is huge and one stat i found pretty interesting that i dug up last night was uh, riddick missed two games last year and in those two games the first one week seven against miami uh carry on johnson set his career high in rushing 158 yards but even more telling and i think more important of a stat was in week eight when they were facing the uh, Seahawks. He didn't have quite as big of a fantasy day, but they were trailing for most of the game. They went down by three touchdowns in the second quarter. And after that, uh, um, with Riddick gone, Carryon Johnson was on the field for 81% of the snaps. He was kind of the dominant, the game flow when they got behind. He was in pretty much the entire game, which is huge because he might lose those snaps if Riddick was there. So to me, that's enormous news. This guy that was you know second in the league in yards per carry last year, eighth in broken tackle rate, a great talent that I think is uh, about to get the usage he deserves. There is a sketchy injury history. I do want to make sure I yeah. preface that. Uh, he, he missed time in college. He missed time last year. Uh, so you, you got to note that, especially 
especially with more work coming his way. But let's say he does stay healthy for 14, 15 games. His ceiling is as high as anybody in fantasy. So he's gone up about 20, 30 spots now with the Riddick removed. It's that big of a move. And 20, 30 spots up. Where are you taking him right now? The draft was tomorrow. Uh, I have him right at that round three. It's kind of pretty much where his ADP was uh, in that round three range, right alongside those Chris Carsons, uh, those Philip Lindsay's that I really? love. He kind okay. of, you know, it, it's going to, we'll see how it all shakes out in the preseason and how he's looking and what CJ Anderson's role is going to be. Uh, but he could even jump further than those guys if it looks like he's clear cut, you know, early down and uh, the reception guy as well. So we'll see. But right around that third to fourth round cups, we're, before he was like a you know fringe sixth rounder yeah, sixth in my round opinion, guy. So he, yeah. he's, he's really shot up my my rankings quite a bit. That's a big deal, man. I could actually see him being it's, even like a kind of a steal, third fourth round. We'll see. If I mean, remember last year our 360 degree player, I like to call him, where we were down on somebody and then everything pointed to we have to be right was Christian McCaffrey. We had, we had to turn it around on him. Um, and carry on's a similar guy. I've said it all along. I love the talent. I didn't know the usage was going to be there, but one guy's already removed from that that puzzling equation. And so if he can really beat out C.J. Anderson and dominate touches, there's no reason he can't jump even further. So that's my like 360 degree guy right now is Carry on Johnson. All right, we're going to get into the guys that have risen the most in the offseason, uh, you know, and you're going to name an MVP at every position. We're going to talk about some guys in contention, and then you're going to throw in a few guys. We're going to try to rat- rattle through these as quick as we can because we're going to hit every position of risers, and hopefully we got enough time to actually put fallers in this episode as well. We know you fans have got, you know, y- your time is limited, and we like to pack as much as we can into every episode. So let's talk quarterbacks. We're going to get right into it. A couple guys contending for offseason MVP at quarterback, but not bringing home the hardware. Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, Josh Allen. Talk to us about these three guys real quick. Carson Wentz, the highest I have of all these guys except the MVP. His line gets stabilized. He's you know labeled fully healthy, ready to go, no limitations at training camp. And then also gets Deshaun Jackson and rookie J.J. Arcega-Whiteside added to his already pretty stacked weapons cabinet. And so far, the reports on him and DJX have been nothing but glowing. In OTAs, they were forging a good bond. In training camp with the pads on, it's been only stronger. So Carson Wentz, between weaponry and line upgrades and getting to fully healthy. I mean, this guy was an MVP candidate just a couple seasons ago, I could definitely see him getting back to those levels of 40 touchdowns and 4,500 yards or so. Love him. Jameis Winston isn't quite as steep of an upgrade, uh, but the biggest part for him is Bruce Arians, a known quarterback developer, a guy that loves the the no-risk-it-no-biscuit offense that works perfectly for what Jameis Winston loves to do, which is chuck the rock. So I really like that. He did already have Todd Munkin, who was a great coordinator and loved to air it out, so it's not a huge upgrade for him, but he was a guy that was about to fall. You know, I'm not even consider this guy, but then Bruce Arians comes in and kind of stabilizes his value, keeps him on my fantasy radar for sure. And the last one would be Josh Allen you mentioned there. Mm. Uh, again, just to reiterate, this guy was the number two quarterback in fantasy after week 11 when he came back from that's injury. That's so ridiculous. Now, isn't and I think every time you tell me that stat, I always am just like, that's ridiculous. And I've now that's heard it like six I times. I go check it, right? No, yeah, I mean, you told me six times, so I know it's coming, and I'm still no less impressed every time you tell me. <laughs> the only guy that was better than him was Deshaun Watson, so he had more points than Pat Mahomes down the season stretch run, which is just insane to even think about. And then he gets weapons upgrades with John Brown, uh, get, gets added, Cole Beasley underneath as a security blanket. John Brown, the more intriguing one, in my opinion, because he's such a great vertical deep threat, and Josh Allen has that cannon arm, still has to get the accuracy down, uh, but nobody attempted more air yards per pass than Josh Allen, and you get 
get a perfect deep threat weapon to fit him. So between those upgrades, the line upgrades, I'm a little nervous because they did add a bunch of running backs, and part of Josh Allen's appeal is the rushing upside. So that kind of is, you know, all those running backs getting added maybe limits that type of ceiling. But still, all the other weapons around him, I love him. But none of those guys are the MVP. The guy, of course, that's going to be hauling in the MVP offseason award at quarterback is a guy the Wolf's been high on a lot longer than I have. And that, of course, is Baker Mayfield, who's kind of the talk of the town. I heard uh, he was second right now in MVP odds, which to me seems like a bit of a stretch. Yeah, but I don't know. That's where he's at. Uh, You know, he seems to be, uh, you know, definitely somebody that people have extremely high expectations for now. And when a lot of people were kind of thinking he might fail last year. So uh, why did he pull down the MVP hardware this year? Yeah, who cares if he wins the NFL MVP? No, got I mean, the this is the Bombs fantasy MVP, fullback guy MVP. Support. Exactly. There's nothing nothing bigger than the FFBD pod uh, MVP award. But as you mentioned, I was already really high on this guy pretty much right from the start as a rookie. I thought the talent was always there. And then starting in this offseason, even before Odell gets there, and everyone knows that's the obvious reason he's risen so much. But even before that, the fact that they rehired Freddie Kitchens, uh, who he was thriving under as the head coach, and then add Todd Munkin as offensive coordinator. I think those two minds are absolutely brilliant. Last year, just as a couple stats, if you haven't heard these ones yet, when Freddie Kitchens took over the entire offense just started to blow up they were uh, fourth in yards per pass attempt fourth in total yards and passing yards per game and they led the nfl in yards per play once he took over and then baker himself obviously went up from 60 uh, 58 to 68 percent accuracy 6.6 to 8.6 yards per attempt that's second in the nfl uh, and he would have had a 4508 yard 38 td pace under freddie kitchens and that was all before they added todd munkin who led the league in passing yards with the bucks last year all before they added Odell, maybe the most explosive deep threat and just general threat in the game. The guy that can just take a slant and rip it 90 yards down the field. So you, you stock the weapons cabinet with such a dominant weapon as Odell and, and just meshes perfectly with Baker Mayfield's unbelievable deep ball. He had the second highest uh, deep quarterback passing rating by pro football focus last year. All of those things just are aligning to me to, to this guy that I think has great command of his team, has so many weapons around him. I could totally see 5,000 yards and 40 T if everything clicks the right way. I know that sounds ridiculous, and I know I'm kind of the king of hyperbolic expectations and uh, whatnot, but I had those with Mahomes last year, and this guy was going to be my Pat Mahomes of 2019 until his price started to skyrocket. Uh, But everything about his offseason has been so good, so he's my MVP for this year. All right. Well, I mean, that's a pretty compelling case for why he's the MVP. Those are extremely lofty expectations, like you said. If he's able to do that, then yeah, I mean, I could see him being an absolute contention for the real MVP award, not just the Roto Street Journal MVP. And he has been surrounded with pretty serious talent in the offseason. He's already a pretty talented guy, so not a crazy pick at all. Let's move on to running backs. Based on, you know, like people that have gained just the most value going up the board, is there's one guy that pretty much jumps out. Uh, jumps off the page. Latavius Murray, a guy that, you know, sometimes we've even referred to in a ho-hum sort of light, but it seems like this guy has serious, serious upside moving into the fantasy season. Absolutely, yes. So he's the MVP. He takes away the award uh, for that. So we'll give you the contenders that were competing with him. But in terms of sheer uh, just jump up the big board, he was a guy that was going to go into obscurity. I wasn't going to really worry about, uh, but now goes up and takes the MVP award because he goes with the Saints. The touchdown upside there is astronomical. Mark Ingram's removed. He slides into that Saints big back role. At least 10 plus touchdown upside there, especially because Murray's been such a short yardage beast throughout his career. Uh, Trails 
only Todd Gurley in total rushing TDs over these last three seasons. Uh, and now he's going to have even more chances than ever before to punch in scores with such an explosive high-powered attack behind one of the best run-blocking lines in the league. And then you get that added benefit. Again, if God forbid something horrible happens and Kamara goes down, you have the ultimate handcuff with benefits here in Latavius Murray. So I think he's unbelievable. Goes from like a, a no not even on my radar, to number 64 overall my big board, 20 spots higher than the experts. Definitely a guy I'd be fine with in my flex. Remember, Mark Ingram was the RB6 just two seasons ago in this role, and I don't think Murray's that steep of a talent downgrade from him, so a huge winner this offseason. No, he did edge a couple guys out. I got a little bit flipped around, but I mean, he edged out a couple <laughs> other contenders for uh, running back MVP, Dalvin Cook, Damian Williams, Marlon Mack, Mark Ingram, teammate, and Devontae Freeman. What do you think? Why don't you tell us why two or three of those guys maybe were in contention but couldn't quite get it done? Yeah, for me, uh, two guys that I thought were going to have competition added and didn't were Damian Williams and Marlon Mack. So Damian Williams remaining that invaluable Chiefs lead back. We've talked about him a ton on this podcast. Just to quickly reiterate, 10 touchdowns in only six games, 22 fantasy points per game once he took over that starter's role and was relied upon when the team needed him most in the playoffs. He's going to have a huge role, has everyone's endorsement most recently, Andy Reid. So love me some Damian Williams. Marlon Mack, too, crushed it when he was given the volume. The team was actually 14-0 or 12 and 0, something of that nature, when they fed him 15 or more carries. So that they worked well when they fed Marlon Mack. They didn't add anybody. There's lots of rumblings. Maybe Le'Veon Bell or a rookie was going to get added, but no competition as of now has been added for Marlon Mack. So that invaluable kind of early down and goal line workhorse role in an ascending offense. Only Paris Campbell added as a receiver more explosiveness than your Devin Funches on the outside. Just tons of weapons. I think that offense is going to be living in the red zone, and Marlon Mack's going to have a monstrous season. The RB8, when he finally came back from injury last year, could totally see him maintaining that pace and then Dalvin Cook uh, in terms of just all the great things that happened like he had the most good things happen to him he just didn't have as much room to rise as Murray did on my big board because I just already loved Dalvin Cook but you get Gary Kubiak the un- invaluable blocking scheme 12, 12 of 22 rushers have gone for over 1400 total yards just insanity uh, in terms of how productive that's been a run run heavier scheme then Latavius Murray who led the team in attempts last year is removed uh, everything just coming up spades for Dalvin Cook. I think he's going to be used to perfection in this system. Devonta Freeman was because the line has been so upgraded and Tevin Coleman's been removed. So I think that's another offense. You know, the Falcons, we're talking about all these offenses, Chiefs and, and Colts. I can see the Falcons sneakily being right up there with all those teams in terms of total points. Tons of tons of potential points there. And Devonta Freeman being that drive capper. The only thing is they have a huge big back they added in the draft. So I don't know if he'll steal goal line touches. But for now, I really like Devonta Freeman's offseason, too. All right, let's talk wide receivers. Got a couple guys that you put into ten. These are not like your, you know, typical huge names with the exception of Odell Beckham that you've put in contention mm-hmm. for winning the wide receiver offseason MVP. Chris Godwin, Beckham, who I just mentioned, Trey Quinn, who you've just been insanely high on. I don't know about insanely, <laughs> just really high on. D.D. Westbrook mm-hmm. and then, of course, MVS from Green Bay. What do you think? Sell me on some of those guys. So Godwin, you get so much air air yards and volume removed when you get Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys removed, especially Humphreys because now Godwin's going to move inside far more often. He's dominating that slot role, which Bruce Arians has always uh, peppered with targets. Larry Fitzgerald had that late career renaissance. He had over 100 catches for four straight seasons manning that, and, and Bruce Arians has already said Godwin's a 100-catch candidate. So a huge riser, in my opinion, uh, just on sheer air targets and volume that's been vacated there. Oh, 
Odell Beckham, obviously the surrounding talent upgrade from Eli to Baker is a no-brainer, a humongous talent upgrade there. And I just think playing with Jarvis Landry and being around people he likes more, he's such a mental head case. This seems like a situation where hopefully that gets tapered down. He's with people that can kind of and keep him on the field and keep him happy. Trey Quinn, Jamison Crowder departs. He comes right into that invaluable slot role. Jay Gruden loves to pepper that area of the field, and he's had nothing but positive praise for Trey Quinn and what he can do. So a guy that nobody would have even thought about before is a guy I think could realistically catch 90 balls this year in that role. He's dominating. He's built for the slot. Got insane quickness. I think he could really thrive there with really no other weapons to even speak of in the passing game. You got D.D. Westbrook in that huge quarterback upgrade in Nick Foles from Blake Bortles. That's insane. Plus, you add their offensive coordinator, John DeFilippo, who loves to pepper the slot where D.D. Westbrook played you know, 70-80% of his snaps and led all receivers and touchdowns out of the slot and was dominating and, and has already been drawing rave reviews for after catchability and how they're going to just really Really pepper him more and more and more this year. So I love D.D. Westbrook. I think he explodes the season. MBS is just because he's finally on that same page with Rodgers. At least it seems so. Because last year, it's that weird situation. I don't know what you would do if you were in his position, Dad, but there's all these rumblings that they would call plays and he would be like, okay, my coach wants me to run this. And then Aaron Rodgers would like nudge him in the huddle be like, hey, do a go route. And he's like, well, if I don't do the route the coach ran, I'm going to get benched. If I don't do what Aaron Rodgers does, I'm going to no, not see any targets. So it's kind of like that, like, what, what do you do? How do you win? And he just kind of floundered from there. I don't, I don't so, know. That's so to a me, it's, tough spot to be right? in. Like, <laughs> what, what do true. you do in that situation, right? Like, So I think Aaron Rodgers started to phase about because he was doing what the coach asked for, which is what you probably should do as a player. Now they seem to be on the same page. He's talking about how fast MVS is playing, how much more he's commanding that number two role. So when you get good praise from Rodgers and you're not in his doghouse, it, it makes a world of difference. So I think MVS could really explode. All right. Let's see who your MVP is. You got it kind of tied. This, I couldn't is, this is a this is a hedge. This is a, a hedge I, for the wolf that I'm not used to, but I'm interested in both of these. So you got Christian Kirk, you got Dante Moncrief. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, tell me a little on both of them. We've heard of both those guys. I'm impressed they're up this high on the MVP scale. Absolutely. I think both of them went similar to Latavius Murray. Guys, I probably wasn't even considering to guys I'm definitely targeting and have just exploded up the big board. Kirk's probably the most obvious one. You get the quarterback upgrade in Kyler Murray, or at least it should be. He's unknown. Yes, I get it. But I, I think he's going to dominate. If you've been listening, you know I'm all in on Kyler Murray and the air raid offense, which he played in in college. Christian Kirk, which Kyler Murray played in in college. And just they're thriving already because of their experience in the system. Christian Kirk's been labeled the best receiver on on the field by multiple beat writers. He's dominating on all the routes. So I love this guy. I think he has at least a thousand yard upside after rotting in this awful system with awful Josh Rosen all last year. Everything about the scheme and quarterback upgrades is huge for him. And that's similar to Dante Moncrief. That's kind of why I lumped them together is they both have the same factors going for him. He goes from fucking Blake Bortles and Jacoby Brissett, where he's been floundering to now being with Big Ben, one of the best to play the game, your bravest quarterback of all time. Uh, He's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> so brave. I know your your favorite there. Uh, but with him, you know, it's all about the vacated targets there. He's got so much volume with Antonio Brown departing there over, you know, over 200 targets, over 40 percent of the yards there. There's nobody there that's a clear cut number two. And he's the one that's been operating at the number two all year. Still a physical freak at 6'3", 4'4", uh, has been playing real fast and studying and just endearing himself to the coaching staff and Big Ben as well. Another guy that if you're not in his good side, he might ice you. He's already been just raving 
about Dante Moncrief and how much he's stepped up for this team and how he thinks he's going to really thrive in that number two receiver role. So that's one of the most delicious and juicy and, and now available aerial pies in the league. And I think Moncrief is going to slide right in and do a really nice job with that. All right, awesome. Tight ends. Vance McDonald, Evan Ingram. These are guys, Ingram at least, a guy that had tons of upside supposedly surrounding him last year and was by and large a pretty big disappointment. I think you'd agree. Mm -hmm. McDonald had some real moments. You got both these guys coming up just a little short, but obviously you like the moves that have been made around them. Absolutely. It's similar to why I raved about Moncrief when it comes to uh, Vance McDonald is the available air yards, the available targets. I think it's just a no-brainer that people are going to automatically rise. I don't think the Steelers are suddenly going to become this run-centric team. They always are going to be a pass-happy with when you got Big Ben at the helm uh, and Ricky Fowl. They made some nice magic last year in terms of even more pass-happy. It was the most passing yards in the league last year. I don't think he's going to do that quite again without all those weapons around him. But over 5,000 yards last year, and you could probably get right around that number and there's not a ton of people to throw it to so I think McDonald gets a huge bump in usage uh, as you said had some great special moments those stiff arms on Monday night football oh, was crazy threw that dude six feet into the, the ground just choke slammed him essentially was uh, it was unbelievable so uh, an athletic guy like that I think could really thrive beat writers already saying expect his stats to explode uh, so I like Vance McDonald a lot and Evan Ingram uh, it's a pretty obvious one but OBJ removed he's thrived when OBJ's out of the lineup and those 15 there's 11 games with OBJ and 15 without him he goes from eight PPR points to 13 PPR points wow. that's five that's a touchdown essentially uh, uh, more and, and the usage is really what dictates that uh, goes from five targets to nearly eight targets a game on pace for 90 targets with Odell on pace for nearly 130 without him uh, and goes right up from like 37 yards per game to about 60 yards per game uh, and hauled in a touchdown about half the time with Odell in the lineup so with all those guys out there plus now you got Sterling Shepard with a broken thumb you got Golden Tate with a four game suspension for PEDs I don't know who else they're going to throw to so Evan Ingram I think that athleticism is really going to thrive this year and I I love the position he's in. And the guy that's going to bring home the Road Street Journal MVP hardware, of course, Jared Cook. And I I like this pick. I think there's a lot of high expectations, rightly so, around this guy. I feel like the pressure is on for this team. And, you know, I mean, just like huge expectations, not just for him, but for his team moving into this season. And, you know, maybe he's going to be the answer, right? I think so. They've been hunting for that next Jimmy Graham uh, since 2015, and they haven't been able to find it. And I think Jared Cook has a great shot to be that. He's coming off a career year uh, in terms of 101 targets, 68 receptions, 896 yards, and six TDs. And I think you know maybe he won't see the target number in a little bit more of a crowded situation. There is really no one to contend with in Oakland. And now he's got you know Michael Thomas, the clear-cut top of the totem pole, assuming he actually reports. We'll see these days. Alvin Kamara definitely ahead of him. And the target totem pole. But other than that, there's not really, you know, is it Trey Quan Smith? Is it Ted Ginn? Probably not. Cameron Meredith just got cut. So it's a really clear cut, like number three, and one of the best aerial pies in the league when you're playing with Drew Brees. Uh, and this is the most athletic, best, you know, in terms of just the the comparables to Jimmy Graham that they've had since then. The guys, you know, 6'3", jumps 40-inch vertical, 6'5", I should say, rather. Uh, and, and that's where Brees makes, makes his money, where he can put it wherever he wants, and you got to 
guy that's bigger than everybody else that can jump higher than everybody else in the red zone where the Saints live. Jared Cook's going to be a monster. Sean Payton's also raved about how much he's he's great after the catch. So you're not only looking at just a red zone weapon, you're looking at a guy that can do it all over the field. We saw that with the Raiders last year. Uh, and Dan Campbell said hey, we've already taken plays out of the Jimmy Graham. You know, we're dusting that book off and bringing him up for Jared Cook because he's been so impressive. So when you're impressing Breeze, you're impressing your tight end coach, you're impressing Sean Payton in one of the most impressive offenses. I really like Jared Cook. I think his value is humongous with the Saints. Did you would you have feared the Saints more than the Rams had they gotten through to the Super Bowl, which they totally should have? Yes, because I think in those big games, it comes down to quarterback and Drew Brees is definitely just like a ballsier guy, in my opinion, than Jared Goff. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I, I thought that I mean, at the beginning, <laughs> well, the beginning of the playoffs, I, I picked the Saints to win. I thought the Saints would beat the yeah. Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And I still thought the Saints would win, even when the Patriots, you know, with the Patriots going over the Chiefs, which they did in impressive fashion. Um, mm-hmm. I did not. When the Rams won, I, you know, usually when the Patriots go to the Super Bowl, I, may, I convince myself the other team has a shot or can win, even though I'm usually wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I wasn't able to do that with the Rams. I never thought the Rams were going to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I absolutely thought the Saints would have. I mean, obviously, who knows? I mean, there's there's no telling yeah. what would have happened. But, yeah, that was a devastating call. I can't think of a bigger blown call, like, in the history of the world, pretty much. I know, really. I mean, just it's amazing. crazy. So they, with, they would have scared me a lot. More. I think we matched up. It would have been a battle. I would have loved to see it too. Breeze, Brady, both like, you know, 40 year olds. It, it was just, a lousy Super Bowl last year. Not just because the Patriots won. It was just a lousy Super Bowl. It wasn't. I, as a Patriots fan, I can even admit it wasn't the funnest game to watch. Of course, I'm happy with the outcome. Sure, we won it, but you're, it wasn't like the you know Falcons game where you're on the edge of your seat and you can't you know you're throwing shit and you're just freaking out the entire game. It was kind of just like oh yeah, we or won. the Eagles nice. game, which was super exciting too. Yeah, fuck that game. That was pretty exciting. And let's not forget both Giants Super Bowls, both very exciting as well. Oh, God, shut All up. right, let's go off-season MVP <laughs> fallers uh, for the quarterbacks. The aforementioned Tom Brady, uh, you know, taking a little bit of ding on his resume with an off-season MVP honorable mention falling award. Why is Brady on the downspin here? Yeah, the LVP of the offseason, uh, not quite as as the, the guy taking home the hardware, but you lose Rob Gronkowski, a guy you've had in your stable for quite some time and obviously has been just dominant with. That's a huge red zone hit. I know Gronk wasn't quite Gronk last year, but no, still. No, he that- sure wasn't. I know, definitely not in fantasy, as you, you experienced last year. Uh, but still, just uh, you know, so reliable and can get it done. And then you got Edelman with a thumb injury right now, and it's just like, who the hell is he throwing passes to? You got Maurice Appleby's Harris. Like, who the fuck is this guy? Uh, who's the most impressive? <laughs> is that a real person? Did, did you just? No, I call Maurice Appleby's Harris. No, he looks. Uh, me and CJ have a joke where he looks looks like a guy. I, that should be like a server at Applebee's or like in a backline cook or something. Okay. I mean, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's also funny. But I, I thought that there was a guy that I just had somehow never heard of whose middle name Everybody was Applebee's. <laughs> I was like, that's fantastic. Why am I just hearing about this in late July? That'd be awesome if it was. I, I, All right. Well, that's what I'm going to call him from now on. I've, I've completely forgot. I had you just, yeah, you always like to throw out your just total inside jokes. that will make sense <laughs> to absolutely nobody else when we're on the air. Applebee's no, but apparently he's the most impressive player in camp. And if Maurice Harris is your most impressive receiver, Maurice you're probably Applebee's Harris. A little bit, 
Exactly. That, that's not a great sign. I mean, Nikhil Harry was added. If Josh Gordon comes back, Nikhil Harry develops, and then Edelman's full go, then I'm going to feel a lot better about Brady, and I'll move him up. But right now, this weapons cabinet doesn't look great. They became such a run-centric team, and then add Damian Harris as well. I think this team is going to become more and more based out of the backfield, uh, and, and that's going to hurt Brady fantasy-wise. I think he's still going to be great real-life-wise. He always is. He's always clutch. But in terms of fantasy production, he's not a guy that really excites me anymore. I know, and that's saying something because that guy does all he has to do is give you a side eye, and that excites you usually. He's put me on a leash, Tom. Walk me around, like do whatever you want. I yeah, don't care. Sure. He, I mean, in real life, he excites the hell out of me. Yeah, he could do course. anything he ever wanted, but but fantasy wise, not don't, quite that. Don't anymore. love the scene in Ted too, where they jerk off, where they try to break into Tom Brady's house and jerk him off. <laughs> exactly. I just right. Like, I think I that's like do. one of the funniest things ever. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Wolf's offseason least valuable player quarterback. The aforementioned Brave Big Ben. We should Brave Big Ben, Triple B, Big Baller brand. By the way, Big Baller brand falling on hard times from what I understand. LeVar Ball's, you know, mega corporation not doing too well. I've heard they're just basically giving stuff away. Hopefully, Ben will not see the fall that the Big Baller brand has, you know? I didn't see that one coming. Oh, no, no. Not seriously. If it could happen to LeVar Ball and his company, I guess oh. none of us are safe. But uh, let's talk about Ben Roethlisberger. Why is he taking such a hit? I mean, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, do we need to talk about anything else other than that? I think that's really all it comes down to, right? When you lose two of the most elite weapons in the game, you have to take a stock hit. I mean, he was without Le'Veon Bell all last year and still led the league in passing yardage. So, of course, he's still going to do his thing. But Antonio Brown just made so much magic happen. And their chemistry, as bad as it was off the field, was just a beautiful thing to watch on the field. So when you go from, you know, know, as much as I just raved about about Dante Moncrief and how much I love him for fantasy. There's not even a close comparison between Antonio Brown and Dante Moncrief on the field. So you're just going to feel that absence. There's no way this guy's going to lead the league in passing yards again. He's going to still chuck the rock. He's still going to be okay. Uh, but he's just way less exciting when you lose a guy like Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. Let's talk running backs. Guys that have fallen. Darius Geis, somebody that excited us an awful lot. Last year, it's been a tragic figure so far in the NFL. You'd almost have to say, and then and then <laughs> the, the 49ers running back, the, just their backfield in general. We're going to talk about both of those real quick. Yeah, Darius guys first. Uh, it's just such a extreme talent, but it. Is he ever going to be able to thrive? I first bring back Adrian Peterson, who was pretty damn dominant for the age and whatnot, considering everything, with like over 1,200 rushing yards, was, I think, fifth in the league. Uh, he had the fifth most carries and the eighth most yardage at uh, 1,042 rushing yards last year. Uh, and so you add him, who's already proven to be a solid player in this backfield, in this system. Then they draft Bryce Love, a really explosive guy who was just in contention for the Heisman only two seasons ago before going down with injury last year. So, yeah, he's got to get himself healthy, but that's just another impressive mouth to have to potentially feed Chris Thompson's as healthy as he's ever been so to me you're looking at what a four-headed nightmare of a, an awful offense I don't see any real appeal there uh, I would be one thing if you know guys exited the offseason with no AP they didn't draft Bryce Love and he was like kind of like that clear-cut three-down guy but at this point he's in all these injuries you know the hamstring pops up he, he has to have another offseason you know operation on his knee to drain some stuff it's just I, I, I need to see this guy stay healthy and actually separate from this crowded backfield before I'll even consider touching it. All right, fair enough. And uh, the 49ers backfield screwed me and a lot of other people last year. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. 49ers backs, my fault. I forgot you, you brought them up. Too. I brought them Kevin, up. I'm just throwing that in because I'm, I'm not just going to move on without at least mentioning that they screwed me. 
Yeah, Jarek McKinnon was god awful. You know, then you know Matt Breida. You never knew when he was going to just get knocked. You loved Jarek McKinnon. Like, you loved him, and you convinced I, I me to I love him still, too. I still love him. I think he could still rebound and be a good player. But right now, you're looking at Tevin Coleman gets added, and it becomes this three headed. They're saying all three running backs are going to play throughout the game, and you know it's going to be kind of a hut hand situation. And I do really like all three talents. I do really like Kyle Shanahan's zone blocking scheme. Obviously, I've gushed about that at endless you know, length on this podcast. But unless one person's getting that clear-cut volume share, it's tough to know, you know, who you could actually depend on each week. So I'll still take, you know, the cheapest guy. Maybe that's Matt Breida going around like 15. Maybe Jarek McKinnon keeps falling around 12 uh, just in case one of them separates and gets that stranglehold. Uh, but right now, to me, it seems like a really tricky situation. Uh, and, and Tevin Coleman's value is kind of shooting up a little bit too high. It's messy. It's, it's just gross. All right. Um, keeping with the trend of you know Patriots and the Patriots offense, Sony Michelle taking a big hit. This guy's been like a yo-yo in the offseason. This is one of these guys when the season ended. I had this guy as a potential keeper. We were like, man, like you you scored, and then it went down, and it was like, man, he's not going to be what you think. And then it was like, ooh, Sony Michelle stock rising, and Sony Michelle stock now falling again. Why are you down on Michelle right now relative to where he was? Uh, so the biggest thing is them adding Damian Harris. We have Ryan Hannibal, our guy, come on the podcast and tell me this is not just an insurance policy. This guy is going to be involved and potentially involved at the stripe. And that's where Sony Michelle became such a dominant force, Where especially in the playoffs. He was the, the best running back on the field for those games. Uh, now he's going to get spelled at the goal line. Uh, it just makes it a little bit trickier. When when can you trust this guy? Now, if, if you know we read some reports that red zone drills, he's the first guy up. He's dominating. He's still the, the one that's going to be getting the touchdowns i'll of course change my tune because that's so much of his value but i really see damien harris a big back that was a great finisher at alabama last year carving himself a role there at the goal line and plus you know his rex burkhead still lingering uh, it just becomes that oh, mess he's lingering. you know yeah what is he going to be doing is he just a special teams guy now uh the really only clear-cut role there in the backfield is james white who of course catches 70 80 balls as always until I know how the rest of this is going to shake out between Harris and Michelle. Uh, Michelle's going to be the more volume guy. I get it. But uh, it, to me, it becomes a messier situation. The Patriots have always been unreliable out of their backfield. And now they add a guy that could definitely eat away at his value. Okay. Wide receivers. Antonio Brown, who we talked about before. You, you think this is going to hurt Ben, and you think it's going to hurt Antonio Brown, too. And then, of course, Golden Tate, who's just disappointed me, really, just for pretty much his entire career. But go ahead. Yep. Uh, so the, the Antonio Brown one, uh, he's still a second rounder, in my opinion, still a wide receiver one that you could trust at the top of your fantasy lineup. It's just the obvious where you go from Big Ben to Derek Carr, when you go from this amazing pass happy offense to John Gruden, who we don't know can actually get it done at the NFL level at this stage in his career. You got to be a little bit more wary, especially if this team is crumbling and it's just a mess. Then Antonio Brown and the mental head games come out. So I'm not overly terrified. He's going to probably lead the league in targets. Which they have pretty much no one else there. I mean, Tyrell Williams, sure, right. a couple deep balls I think here. Tyrell and there, Williams is going to surprise you. I'm not kidding. I, you love Tyrell Williams. I don't love I Tyrell do. Williams, but I you, think that he's going to be. You make a point of him. I, I, yes, I picked him with him. I picked him with my last pick in the RSJ mock draft, and you oh, just you like and him. you just like eviscerated me for it or something. You Is that just, a Tyrell Williams poster I see in the background there? A framed jersey of the Raiders? Yeah, oh, uh, Tyrell yes, Williams. Right, little love notes. I'm turning it the other way. 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, it's got to be a, a slight downgrade. We're just talking about contenders for the, the people that lost value. Golden Tate, I mean, you go from a perfect role in the slot with the Lions, was dominating for years on end, to then kind of fading away with the Eagles. And now he goes to fucking Eli Manning. Uh, and then he gets a four-game suspension for PEDs. It's like this guy was a guy I used to love and, and target. And he is a good run-after-the-catch threat still, leads the league and, and yards after the catch over these last four years. And that's what this Pat Shermer scheme is based upon. But when you you miss those first four games, when you, you got Eli Manning throwing you the rock in the first place, that's got to be considered a downgrade. Yeah, I agree. Um, Golden Tate, I mean, I, I've never wanted him on my team, ever. There's been never been any point in his entire career that I've wanted him on my team. And I, I continue to feel that way. Yeah, he's, I mean, it's like, the, he's never the guy when you draft and you're like, everyone's like, ooh, ah, it's Golden oh, Tate. Oh, you got like, Golden Tate. It, it used to be one of those guys, though, you could, you knew you were getting seven to eight catches and, and yeah. six to 80 yards pretty much every week. He was kind of that perfect floor wide receiver, two or three, if you had a riskier guy at the top of your lineup. Uh, I used to only target him for those situations. He never, he's never been overly exciting, and he's certainly not exciting when you no, catch sure him not. Eli Manning. <laughs> All right, Corey Davis. Least valuable player. I'm looking forward to this one. I could have guessed this without even looking at the agenda. You just hate him so much. Remember, we talked about who's the guy, who's the spit in the face guy. You see, and somebody yep. immediately at the round table was like Corey Davis for you. Yep, it, it wasn't even. And now, player. just you're spitefully going to just give him the least valuable player too. On top, you're just going to pile on this guy. I was going to say, I, I don't know how much of this is my pure hatred for him. At least some of it. At least thirty percent. <laughs> A good amount of it. Those guys last year, I think I don't know if we have a term for it yet in the glossary. If we don't, we got to catch it. But it, he was the guy that you know he'd have a forty point. He had four games above ten points last year, uh, and a couple of them were blowups. He had like a thirty. And he killed point you game. in at least one of them. But well, I was gonna say one of them. He was on my bench for the thirty point blowup. I put him in. He gets like two. He had, in fact, that's pretty much all of them. He had five weak runners under five points. He's probably in my lineup for all five of those under five point games. Never in my lineup for the double digits. So I just got so sick of him. I gave him the good old hate. The cut. hate cut. And then. And then my buddy picked him up against the Patriots, nonetheless, too, starts him, and he blows up for one of the only other times he was over 10 points. He has like 30 points against me. So a lot of this is probably spite for him just ruining my fantasy season and my most important league last year. I should never come down to Corey Davis in the first place, but nonetheless, he fucking is an asshole, so I hate him for that. Uh, but then this offseason, there are some reasons to actually be down on him besides me personally hating him. Uh, one of them is Arthur Smith, first-year offense coordinator. No idea what he's going to roll out. He's already said he wants his offense to be ugly and kind of grind it out with that defense so that sounds to me like a lot of Derrick Henry and just running 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 and not a lot of throwing so you're looking at aerial pie especially when it comes from Mariota who's just been a complete bust I, I don't know why people keep justifying this guy uh, but 21st 28th 28th and 31st in pass attempts when I'm, you have I'm Mariota not justifying him I'm out a hundred percent yeah, I never, I've never seen it. I don't get it. He's only topped 20 TDs once. He's only had 300-plus uh, yards in seven contests in a four-year career. Pretty damn pathetic. Never hit 3,500 in the passing you know, passing yards in a single season. So we're talking about a very weak aerial pie. And then you're getting even more competition when you draft A.J. Brown. You sign Adam Humphreys. And then Delaney Walker, their leading receiver just a couple seasons ago, is now returning. So if he couldn't get it done consistently as the pretty much only guy there, then why would he start getting it done when you got three to four more quality targets added against you. So I hate uh, Corey Davis. I could never I know you do. You people do. keep justifying him. Um, let's talk tight ends. What the hell was that? I think the fire alarm is going off at my place. So oh, good. that's a, all right. Well, we're all, we were down to, 
it's off. Well, we're down <laughs> so to our last position. So, uh, you know, <laughs> your place is funny. If it's my place, I got kids. I got to go deal with them. It's your place, you know, just yeah. let's finish oh, the yeah. segment. I, I'll, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go put the fire out in a second. No, no worries here. All right. I mean, there's, uh, but, there's no contenders for tight end. It's just your uh, least valuable player, and that's Eric Ebron. So we should be able to knock this out pretty quick. It, and it's one of those things because the position, there's just so few names that were actually viable last year. Like finding a, other LVPs or other fallers was pretty rare because there's only four to five that actually had value in the first place. Uh, and those guys still have value. They didn't really lose any of it. But Eric Ebron, uh, one of the more obvious regression candidates, in my opinion, because you add a guy like Devin Funches, you add Paris Campbell. So you now you're getting more competition for targets. And he already was seeing a very low share of the targets, especially when Jack Doyle played. He was very tight. Touchdown heavy, touchdown reliant. He was the type of guy that, you know, three touchdowns one week and wins you that week and then literally puts up a goose egg dash because Jack Doyle returns and he suddenly sees zero targets. And now he has even more competition for targets and Jack Doyle gets himself healthy. Uh, it was one of those things that I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but I think it was like, you know, you saw, you know, 80% of the snaps when Doyle was out and then sees about 30% of the snaps when Doyle's in. And again, you add a big body like Devin Funches, which is where Eric Ebron was so valuable in the red zone. Funches has a great red zone skill set as well so you got to imagine those 13 TDs that he scored last year take a hit he'll still score his touchdowns he's not like a guy I'm not going to draft but he has to have, be considered a huge faller in terms of the offseason this year all right those are our offseason risers our offseason fallers a little stock watch thrown in there for fun remember that the Schefter pod has dropped before this you should totally check it out if you're an RSJ subscriber Fantasy Fullback Dive subscriber already. Obviously, you've already listened to it, but tell your friends. There's a lot of Schefter fans out there that haven't discovered the RSJ and the Fullback Dive yet. Uh, you know, it's a pretty huge deal that we had this guy on our podcast. Also, the offseason Bible that the Wolf talked about earlier in the podcast. You got to check that out. Uh, it's going to be dropping hopefully by the end of the week. We'll give you updates as it comes. Wolf, any social media you want to pump up before we take and- off? I was going to say, too, the last one we did, I really liked our bargains episode. I re- gave it a re-listen. Yeah. And I think give you guys, you know, 10 names that you really need to consider as the top values in fantasy football entering camp. We're going to give you the overpriced next time, too. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, obviously Schefter, a bigger deal than, than our bargains. But in terms of actual sheer fantasy knowledge, I think that's a really good one, too, if you haven't given that one a listen just a couple episodes back. Uh, check that. But the site for our home base, rotostreetjournal.com, ffbdpod.com for the, the home base of the fantasy fullback dive specifically uh, and you can find the show notes i'm still getting better at updating them right after uh we got to get you know video cut-ups and stuff so it's not always like you might hear this episode and be like oh i want to see the show notes ffbdpod.com slash 91 and they're not there i'm trying my best to get caught up but that's you know if you want to look at previous episodes you just type in ffbdpod.com slash that episode number and it will pop right up for you and you can check all those out in social media where i love to interact with you guys i got twitter roto street wolf roto st journals are main home base on twitter as well and then you got roto street journal on instagram got a lot of i don't know if you are on instagram that but we've got a couple guys that have been coming in daily and just trying to shit on our stuff and it's hilarious because oh, really? they're always dead wrong oh yeah we've got ourselves some good battles like i screenshot them and sent them to you because we got this little asshole his name's nathan i hope he's listening uh and i appreciate the interaction so i don't want to like you know it's great we get more comments we get more debates going i, I love it but he's the type of guy that comes in and is like you're an idiot you're stupid who gave you credibility to do fantasy stuff blah 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 so he phrases like a complete little douchebag and he's always wrong like it's beyond the max so nathan keep it coming keep trying to give me material this is how wrong he's been now you'll All love right, this because you love these players ready he told me lamar miller was good 
as a, as a player. Really? <laughs> he, like I I wrote a post about Dante Foreman and why he's a, an obvious break breakout candidate. What's he, what's he based? I mean, Sox. getting you know being on the dying on the Lamar Miller hill is impressive. It's yeah, that's and the next hill is even more impressive. But he's like talking about so how is he's he just trolling you, or is he, or does he actually? Think I don't know. I'd like to think he is, but maybe he. I mean, the the next hill he's trying to die upon leads me to believe he's actually pretty dumb when it comes to fantasy analysis. Again, I don't want to hate on. I love interaction, so keep it coming. But when you say things like Lamar Miller's actually good, or he told me that the gap. I said, you know, Baker. I said uh, OBJ was a huge offseason riser, and he said the difference between Baker Mayfield and Eli Manning's really not all that different and that's I was insane like, how, how could you consider the two even what's he talking about I mean, might be the, the worst, starting, the worst starting quarterback in the nfl <laughs> so that's what i was like all right this mayfield's kid like at worst like at worst like top 10 but probably maybe even like closer to top five yeah exactly so you know I, the fact that he can't see one's clearly ascending and one's got to be on his way out if anything's going to ever yeah. happen for the giants we'll keep it coming i'm, I'm going to uh, check that out that's awesome and the phrasing of it though is the best part where he is like calling me an asshole and stuff which is good. just like all right well good. you are an asshole i, I didn't mean to kind of I, I could clearly got a little testy there but i love the interaction keep coming at me uh on uh, instagram roto street journal roto street journal on facebook as well doing the daily draft wizards every night at 6 p.m if you want a mock draft uh Cap, uh, customized to your needs. I know you got to get going to the kids, but find us on all of those. Follow us, and of course, if you like what you heard, subscribe and review us. It means the world to us. All right, man. My name's Nat Truth Jones. Now I'm the Wolf. Later, guys. See it. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Old-fashioned football right there, folks.